So what is it that you're afraid of? Well, I was going like, to have you shout it out or lean to your neighbor next to you and, and answer that question, but then I thought there would be the comedians in the group who were like, I'm always afraid the preacher's going to make us talk to each other. So I decided we skip that part. But I just like, was thinking about what it is that you're afraid of, and I thought, I bet everybody could list one, two, maybe three things, like right off the top of their head, right? Like everybody's got those couple of things that they're afraid of, and... and this is what gets weird, is when you're afraid of something, typically what you do is you try to avoid it at all costs, right? Like, my friend Chris is super afraid of spiders, so if there's a spider in the house, he's gone. Like, burn the house down, move away, doesn't matter, right? Like, it's okay, we all know, you know, um, but you all have a fear that you avoid. But then there's this really weird part of our society, and I'm here to put you all on notice because I think you're the strangest people that ever lived, and you are the people who pay good money and use good free time to purposefully be afraid. I don't understand you. I don't understand how in Maysville there can be four movies at the movie theater at once and all four of them are designed to like make you have nightmares. Who thinks that's fun? You all are the weirdest group of people. If you're like, if you're like oh man, I can't wait to see that movie that's going to make me scared out of my mind and I can't wait to see that movie that's going to cause me to lose sleep. Like that's a terrible plan. I can come up with a lot better ways to have fun than spending $8 to sit, to, sit in a room for two hours and be scared out of your mind or to be those kind of people who when Halloween time comes, like go to all the haunted houses and act like, the, you know, it's like their favorite thing ever. I, uh, I want you to know, you haunted house people, your secret has been exposed. And there's a haunted house in Canada that has started posting pictures online of the really brave and tough people who come to the haunted house. So I wanted to share a couple of my favorites with you, like these people. And the next group, this one's really good. That is the bravest husband I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, these people, like, there's a person right there. I don't know if you noticed that, but he's under a hood and everyone else is tackling him. And then there's these people who, uh, there's, there are some really tough guys who probably got in a fight with somebody else in the parking lot, but couldn't handle whatever's happening right here. Those were the, probably the guys they got in a fight with in the parking lot, right? Like it just keeps going and going. And um, this one is my favorite. <laughs> This, this haunted house in particular cost $25 per person to enter. And these people were like, this will be fun. Like, I don't understand. I think my favorite part of all of that is we don't know what part of the haunted house that was. <laughs> and I, uh, there were eight pictures there. I might have spent like way too long one afternoon in my office looking at all of them. <laughs> so I don't recommend you find them because you'll spend a lot of time there too. Um, but it was, it's amazing to me how, like, and there, and there are some of you after service, you're going to come and be like, I'm that person. I love haunted houses. I'm like, stay away from me, right? Like, especially ever since I moved out on my own, when I lived at home, like, noises didn't bother me as much because I'd be like, oh, my dad will fix it, you know, like, or my mom, you know, like somebody tough, my sister, somebody's tougher than me, right? But now that I'm like the husband and I'm the man of the house and when a noise happens and Winnie elbows me and says, go figure it out. And I say, I didn't hear anything. Like, <laughs> so now even more than ever, I'm like, I can't afford to be scared any more than I already am. Like my imagination is running wild all the time. I don't need movies and haunted houses to keep, keep that up. Do you want to know my two worst fears? I always laugh because the number one fear every time you look it up in a survey is public speaking, um, and it is not one of my worst fears. Like, it'd be awkward if it was. But what my two worst fears are being wrongly accused 
which is a weird thing. But you all do this too, I bet. When you're driving and a policeman pulls up behind you, even if you know, um, we'll say you weren't speeding, because uh, eight miles an hour over is never speeding. Um, we'll say you weren't speeding, you weren't, you, know, you weren't doing anything wrong, but a policeman pulls up behind you, and my first reaction every time is to do this, is to reach over and turn down the radio. Even if his lights aren't on, even if he didn't pull over behind me, like, like every time a cop's behind me, I'm, eh, I'm going to turn my radio down. Let's just listen to talk radio at 12 decibels, but let's make sure I don't get in trouble here. And I turn, put my hands at 10 and 2, and I'm looking straight ahead. I'm signaling like 500 yards before I wanted to signal the first time. You know, like, and I'm always afraid, or if you go to the airport, <laughs> I am the most nervous airport person you've ever met. I get there like three and a half hours beforehand. I have my belt off like halfway through the line, and like, sir, please put your shoes back on. Like, I just, it makes me so nervous because I'm afraid like something's going to happen and I'm going to be wrongfully accused. My second fear is a different, but it's kind of the same. I'm afraid of being singled out. Like, I know it's weird because I'm standing on stage by myself, but like if I'm in a group of people and everyone's attention turns to me, like it kind of bothers me a lot. And if they'll say, hey, aren't you, don't you wish, you know, like, because there's times when you're just trying to blend into the crowd, right? And there's this moment that comes if you get singled out and you go, oh, 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 right? And so I was thinking about those fears this week because, because I've been thinking a lot about fear. And here's the conclusion that I've come to about fear. The thing about fear is that fear either fuels your flight or your faith. And we're the ones who have to decide where we strike the match. Fear either fuels your flight or your faith, and we have to decide where we strike the match. Because every time that fear sensor bubbles up inside of you, every time you feel that emotion, you have two reactions. And, and scientists would tell you that it's fight or flight, but we don't fight. So we're going to talk about faith or flight. And, it, and it's crazy because I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about the fear of, of the people who were following Jesus in his last days. For the last couple of weeks together, we've been studying the last 168 hours of, of the story of Jesus. And it started on the triumphal entry. It started on that Sunday when he rode in on the donkey and the people in the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? And everybody's proud and it's this big party and everybody's celebrating. And then he comes into town and he overturns the temple and he, and he makes, the, makes a scene, and he makes sure that everyone knows that there's no barriers between the people and God. And then last week, we talked about Thursday night when they're gathered around the table together, and he washes the disciples' feet, and he starts to talk to them about what's going to happen next. Because it's there on Thursday night, after the meal, that Judas leaves. And Judas leaves because Judas is going to betray him. And it's during the course of this day on Thursday when Jesus starts to tell the disciples this is what's going to happen. He tells Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I won't. I wouldn't do that. I would die for you. And Jesus says, it's okay. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then later that evening, they, they leave the upper room where they had the dinner, and they make their way to the garden, and it's there in the garden that we really start to see real fear. Because it's there in the garden that Jesus starts praying, because he knows in the garden he's going to be arrested. 
And the Bible tells us in one, of, in one of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it tells us that he was sweating and his sweat became like drops of blood. And it's a medical condition called hyperhematidrosis when the stress levels got so high for Jesus that his blood vessels began to burst and break into his sweat glands. And so he was literally sweating in combinations of regular sweat and blood at the same time because the stress was just so unbearable because the fear was so great in him because he knew what was about to happen while he was praying. And then while he's praying, the temple guard comes in and they arrest Jesus and nine of the disciples scatter and go places we don't know where they went. But two of the disciples don't, Peter and John. And Peter and John watch the arrest and they start to follow down the, down the road that they take Jesus down to get him to a place called the Sanhedrin to get to the trial. And it's there that what Jesus had just predicted comes to life for Peter. And here's the thing, I, I want to make sure that we're clear on this. You make the decision on whether fear ignites your flea or your faith long before the fear comes. And so I, what's interesting is, is Jesus confronts Peter with this decision. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter makes the decision right there, I would die for you. But I don't think Peter truly knows what he just volunteered for. Because in Peter's mind, this is like a hypothetical thing. He's been following Jesus around for three years, and Jesus has been raising people from the dead. He's been curing the blind people. He's been turning the, you know, feeding the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes and turning the water into wine. So Jesus is like, I mean, I'd die for you. It's kind of like, you remember that Bruno Mars song a couple years ago when he's singing this song to a girl, and he says, uh, girl, I'd catch a grenade for you. I'll tell you right now, I'll catch a grenade for any of you. And I'll say that because I'm never going to be in a place where people are throwing grenades. Like, so I can make you that empty promise all day. <laughs> and some of you are like, I have some grenades. Like, stay away. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like so Peter's making this promise, and he says, oh, I will die for you, but I'm oh, not really going to have to, right? Like, <laughs> no. But then this moment happens, and Jesus is arrested, and Peter's just panicked, right? And the fear just wells up inside of him. And so they're following at a distance because they don't quite know what's going on, and they don't know what's about to happen. And we find it in John chapter 18 that Simon Peter and another disciple, who's John talking about himself, were following Jesus because John, the disciple, was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty and brought Peter in. And it's there that the girl said, aren't you one of this man's disciples too? And Peter replied, I am not. And it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire and they had, to make, they had made to keep warm. And Peter also was standing with them warming himself. And then we're skipping over a couple verses that we'll come back to in a minute because John starts telling the story of what's happening inside, right? So Jesus is on trial inside, and Peter is waiting outside. And meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. And so they asked him, you're one of his disciples too, aren't you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off in the garden, challenged him, saying, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it, and in that moment, a rooster began to crow. And you can picture this scene in your mind. The first time someone says it, Peter doesn't even think twice. He doesn't want to get in trouble. The, the fear is ignited in him, this, this panic, and he doesn't want to be a part of it. And so he says, I don't know him. 
And the second time, they're sitting around the fire, and somebody says, and he says, no, I don't know. And actually, if you read in some of the other accounts, in the third time when someone says, don't you know him, he actually calls down a curse and uses a, a somewhat vulgar word to say, I don't know this man. And it's in that moment when the rooster crows. And you can imagine the feeling of Peter's heart just sinking. And you can imagine the pain that he would have felt because he just realized hours before he had made Jesus this promise and now the fear had caused him to completely flee from everything he knew. Because you see, fear often drives us to panic. It drives us to deny. It drives us to, to, to go crazy. And Peter's fear fueled his flight. And he started running from everything he knew, from all of the claims that he had made, because he didn't know what else to do. I mean, you can imagine, right, the pressure of going from just a few hours ago thinking that your friend that you're following is the most powerful person on earth to now all of a sudden he's, in, he's being arrested and put on trial for murder and people around you are going, you're one of them too, aren't you? And you can imagine that kind of weight of being singled out like that. I mean, you're afraid, and I'm afraid of someone asking us about our faith at the grocery store. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we're afraid to stand up for it in the middle of a room of people who we know think like us because we don't want to be the ones who are singled out. So you can imagine when your leader is being put on trial to be killed, if someone tries to point the finger at you, you're going, no, no, <laughs> that's my twin brother, the other guy. And you can imagine the fear. Nikita Khrushchev, when he was the, prime, the whatever, a prime minister, dictator of the USSR, was speaking one day, and he uh, was trying to make amends for some of what Joseph Stalin had done. And he was trying to make, to, to, to make reparations and trying to, to heal over some wounds, and he was talking about some of the evil things that Stalin had done, and someone stood up in the back of the room and said, why didn't you say anything when it was happening? Why didn't you do something then? And sat right back down. And Khrushchev looked up from the podium and said, who said that? And the room just went deathly quiet. And Khrushchev said, that fear you feel right now, now you know why I didn't say anything back then. And so we, we can imagine and we can know fear. But for us, the issue is the choice of what we let our fear do. Here's the thing, and I, and I want to make this clear because this is the most important part of the story of Peter. There are some people who would tell you that Peter's story ends when the rooster crows, right? And they'll go on and on about the guilt Peter must have felt every time he heard a rooster. And, and people will talk about the shame that Peter brought because he denied the faith and don't be like Peter. But here's what I'm going to tell you, man. The story of Peter starts when the rooster crows. The story of Peter doesn't end when the rooster crows. His life isn't over because if you read the next couple of pages, you see what Peter does. After Jesus goes to the cross and rises from the dead, he comes to Peter and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And all three times, Peter says, I do. And after that, he says, Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. 
And Peter then goes out to the day of Pentecost, and he speaks to 3,000 people who are all baptized immediately and become followers of Jesus. And story after story happens in the book of Acts of Peter seeing that fear, of Peter facing that fear, and of Peter then going in in the right direction and letting his fear drive him to his faith, and Peter changing the world on behalf of Jesus, all because in that moment he made a decision to say, I'm never letting this happen again. Because the point of the story of Peter isn't that you might deny him. The point of the story of Peter is that Jesus still restores us even if we fled before when we return. The story of Peter is about our life not being over when the rooster crows. It's about our life starting over again. Because at the same time the story of Peter is happening, a much more important story is happening And it's the story of a fear you and I will never even begin to know. And it's the story of Jesus, the man who was so afraid that he was sweating drops of blood in the garden. In fact, in the book of Matthew, it says that while he was praying, he said, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He's so afraid and he's so stressed that he's saying, if there is any other option, let's choose that one. And in the same breath, he says, but I'm not in charge. And so it's there in that moment that he's praying and he's begging and he's asking God, give me the courage to face what I know we have to face. Because this is what I want you to hear today is that our fear should drive us not to flee, but it should drive us closer to our faith. That it should push us further to say, God, I cannot do this on my own. This is what Jesus was saying, saying, I I, I can't do this, but when you're in charge, you can do this. You can make this happen. And so Jesus is arrested there in the garden, and they take him down to the Sanhedrin, and and there's a lot of intricacy to the story. But basically, like any civilized society, there are rules and laws in Israel about how and when and, and, and in which ways you can put someone on trial. And most, most biblical scholars would tell you that at least seven times, some say up to 12 times, the Israelite leaders who wanted to put Jesus on trial, who want to have him put to death, break very clear, very strict, very old standard laws about how someone is accused of a crime and then convicted of a crime. They use false witnesses. They have the trial at an illegal time in an illegal place. They have made up evidence. The people lie in court, admit they're lying in court, and they still use the evidence. I mean, it's this crazy event that happens overnight Thursday night that if anyone was watching, anyone would have known this is not the way it's supposed to go. But the religious leaders don't care. They just want Jesus dead. And so you can imagine the fear of knowing what you're about to do and knowing the fear of what you're about to face, knowing that you're wrongly accused knowing that you did nothing wrong here, but still they're making up things and throwing things against the wall, trying to see what sticks, doing everything they can to try and make this happen. And instead, Jesus is not afraid. His fear drives him to his faith. And so they're having this trial in the temple at the Sanhedrin, And they start accusing him of the things that he said and the things that we know that he said, of calling himself the king and of saying that he's the son of God. And they ask him, they say, did you do these things? And there's this moment when if he wanted to be a selfish person, if he wanted to let his fear cause him to flee, all he has to do is say, nope, and walk away. 
But instead, he says, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And you catch in this moment how his fear has driven him not to a place to run away, but his fear has driven him to a strength that we can only imagine. And that in this moment, yes, he's fully God, but in this moment, he too is fully man, and he fully could just run away and be done with it. But as being fully God, he knows that there is something much bigger than just him in this moment. And so because the trial is set up the way they want it to, they find the conviction. And they say the goal is now to put you to death. But the Roman law dictates that they can't put him to death by themselves. So now they have to take their sham of a trial to a guy named Pilate. And there's some really cool intricacies to the story as to how this all happens. But Pilate's in one room and the leaders of the temple are in another. And Jesus is kind of directing all of them back and forth because they can't speak to each other. And it's, it's this big crazy thing and we won't get into today. But it's a really neat part of the story. But Pilate is basically talking through an intermediary trying to run around and get all of this figured out. And basically, he comes to Jesus and says, so they want to put you to death for claiming to be the king of the Jews. And he says, you know I have the power to stop this, right? He says, you know I have the power to not kill you. And look what happens in verse 33. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you? about me. And Pilate, he gets angry. He says, am I a Jew? Your own people, your chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. By now my, but now my kingdom has come from another place. And the silence falls on the room, and Pilate says, so you are a king? What, like, what's happening? And Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and I came into this world is to testify to the truth that everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And in this moment, Pilate says, I, I wash my hands of this. He says, I see no reason to kill this man, but you do with it as you wish. And again, there's this time and this opportunity. He's trying to beg Jesus, please, just take it back. Give me a reason to find a way to say you can't, have, you can't be killed. But instead, Jesus knows his destiny. He knows what he has to do. He knows what he must do. And he says, I know what they're going to do. And I don't need you to stop it. And I love that part when he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate goes, so you're a king? What? I don't understand. Because Jesus knows that this trial, that this event, that this moment is far beyond the scope of Pilate's little governorship in this little part of Rome. 
Because Jesus knows that what he's about to do is way bigger than the first century. What he's about to do is much bigger than the Roman Empire. What he's about to do is only going to happen if Pilate says, put him on the cross. And so he answers the question in such a way that Pilate just helplessly looks at him and says, I don't want to do this, but you've left me no choice. And the fear that we saw in the garden has been replaced by a faith that we wouldn't even believe. Because long ago, Jesus made the decision to say, I will always let my fear fuel my faith. And so here's, here's kind of the takeaway for us. And I admit that in 2017, probably more than any of the other 30 years I've been alive, it seems like people are afraid. Some of y'all just read Facebook too much, but everybody seems like they're afraid all the time. And I, I think for us, the most important thing that we need to know is that the reason we respond to fear is because of a choice that we make long before the fear comes. And the choice we have to make is to allow our fear to drive us to the Father. To allow our fear to draw us closer to the Creator. Because after Jesus is arrested, they take, or after he's convicted, and after Pilate does his thing, they tie him to a post. And they whip him 39 times with, with these large whips that have glass and all sorts of other things on them. And they, and they just brutally, brutally torture him. And then they put a beam on his back and they force him to carry the beam through town until he can't anymore. And then he hangs on the cross. And three days later, after everyone thought he was dead, after everyone had given up hope, after everyone was afraid, he conquers death and walks back out of the grave. Because he knew all along the reason he was coming wasn't to be a good teacher. He knew all along the reason he was coming wasn't to die on the cross. He knew the reason he was coming was to walk back out of the grave, to defeat death once and for all, to give us as people, a hope for something much greater in the future than what this world can provide. The reason that he went wasn't so that we could just have something cool while we were here on earth. The reason he went is so that we could know that our life doesn't end here on this earth, that if we become a follower of him, we have the hope of eternity, the hope of forever in him. And so in just a moment, the men are going to pass the tray of bread and the, and the tray of cups. And as you take one, I, I just need you to take this moment to say, this week, I'll be afraid because there will be people who I need to, to stand up for. Because there will be bullied and there will be marginalized and there will be distressed people who need someone to fight on their behalf and I will fight on their behalf. And there will come moments this week when you'll be afraid to say the right thing, afraid to do the right thing, and you'll say, I don't want my fear to cause me to flee anymore. Because the things that you're afraid of, the things that I'm afraid of, are just things that are here and that are temporary. 
but our God has created for us a hope that is eternal.